and for us. And we have talked about how his coming is meant, has meant love for us. He demonstrated his love in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have hope in Jesus Christ. Even as we pray that not just hope of the first coming, but we have hope of his soon second coming, I believe, as well. We have hope of the return of Christ for his church by way of the rapture. We have hope of all of those promises that have to do with his second coming will be fulfilled just like they were with his first coming. Amen? So we long for that day. That day of our ultimate redemption where we have not just been set free from the penalty of our sins. Not where we're being sanctified and being made free every day from our sins. But where we are finally glorified because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Oh God come quickly. Amen. Long for that. I'm ready to cast off the shackles of, of this flesh. <laughs> as perfect as it is I guess. I mean that is so far from the truth isn't it. It's short, it's overweight, it's broken. <laughs> but I long for the redemption, this glorified body. I can't wait for that day. But more than that, and that's just a joke. I promise you that's just a joke. But, but truthfully, more than that, when we are set free from the entanglement of sin and all that it means, all that it brings, from hopelessness and death and sorrow, oh, to be set free from those things, amen? That's what sin has done. But Jesus is our redeemer. And one day we will ultimately be completely set free. And that gives us that hope to look forward to. But it also means something for us now. And so we often hear this time of year about peace. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And, and oftentimes people in the world that say those things, they usually end it there. But there's more to it than just goodwill towards men. Peace on earth among men. That phrase ends in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the angels heralded a very specific message, a very specific message of hope and of love and of peace. And so as they heralded the birth of Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, they continued among men with whom he is pleased. And we know just by turning on the internet, turning on our, our looking at our email, right, looking at the news, it doesn't matter what social media we look at, what form of media we may be tuning into. We see that there is plenty of war and strife in this world. There is no peace in this world yet. And I know that um, different administrations of our government have, have fought for peace and tried to bring peace to the Middle East. And they have the peace accords and, and uh, Trump signed some new deals and made some, some headway towards peace in the Middle East. But, but there has never been true peace. And dare we say, according to Scripture, there never will be peace apart from Jesus Christ. We have pseudo peace, we have temporal peace, temporary peace, but it just doesn't last and it doesn't bring lasting hope. There's no true peace apart from Christ. And so we see that. We know that there are wars and there are rumors of war. In fact, we can look back and there has never been any length of time upon this world where there has been peace among the nations even. And we know it's a fact that most of the nations have rejected the peace that comes from King Jesus. But one day, one day when Jesus returns, he will establish peace on earth. The peace that Psalm chapter 2 points toward and other Old Testament passages. But looking to the messianic reign of Christ for a thousand years according to Revelation chapter 20. Verses 1 through 5 we see over and over again six times that there is a thousand years of peace that's coming when Jesus returns. And his feet step down there on the Mount of Olives again. 
when the mountain splits in two, when a river begins to flow, not this way, but this way now. Everything is going to change at the coming of Christ. And those are just the simple things. How can a river flow in a different direction? That's simple for Jesus. Yes, it's simple. But the hard thing is to bring peace among men. But notice that last phrase again, with whom he is pleased. That piece of, of, of scripture is pertinent to the message. This peace comes to certain people, to a particular people. And yes, one day it'll be across the globe. There will be this peace. But that day has not yet arrived. And so this announcement then in Luke 2.14 is, is twofold. It's two-pronged. There are two key things here. Look at the first one. The first one is that it declared the arrival of the only one who can bring lasting peace on this earth. The arrival of the only one who can bring lasting peace on this earth. Not a fake peace accord, not a temporal peace accord, but true lasting peace. And again, Psalm 2, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 5. But secondly, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Secondly, it was a proclamation that God's peace is available to men and women. This peace is available to humanity. Now we don't attain to it oftentimes and the world absolutely has, has not even sought for this kind of peace because again it's found only in Jesus but it is available to men and women among men with whom he is pleased. Now who are those with whom Christ is pleased? Who are those with whom Jesus is pleased? And I know we like to think that God's pleased with all humanity. God so loved the world people say and that's true. But God is not well pleased with all of humanity. God hates sin, the Bible tells us. Amen? He hates sin. So he's not pleased with sinners in the midst of their sin. Psalm 147 verse 11 says that Yahweh favors, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. So the idea here comes from the psalmist in, the, in a passage in Isaiah that we'll look at shortly. Those with whom God is well pleased are those whom he has placed his, his loving affections upon. And this isn't just the, the God so loved the world. I mean there is an aspect of truthfulness to that. Yes, we're not discounting that. But those with whom God is pleased are those whom he has set his love and affection specifically upon. Those who are called by his name. And we see that throughout scripture. Those who, as we just read in 147 verse 11, those who fear him, a reverential fear. Those who wait for his loving kindness. The world doesn't wait for the loving kindness of God. The world pays no mindfulness to God whatsoever, amen? They're caught up in their own selves, their own doings, their own realities. They're trying to fix things for themselves. They're trying to go for the gusto now. And they're seeking to please themselves by whatever means possible. But the world, those who are lost in their sins apart from Christ, they do not long for His peace and His loving kindness. They don't have that kind of hope within them. In fact, Paul tells us in the New Testament in Colossians and elsewhere, he tells us that, uh, we see it in Corinthians as well, we see that they're unable to do this. Their minds are depraved. They're unable to come to God this way apart from Him enabling them. So who should, or rather why should we fear God and hope in His mercy as believers? Why do we fear God? I know people wrestle with this. We, we shouldn't fear God as Christians, as followers of Christ, but the scriptures tell us over and over to have this reverential kind of awe of God. So why? Why do we do that? Well, 
We see several reasons. We start at Romans 3.23. We see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We realize as Christians that there's nothing within us that warrants or merits God's gracious saving favor upon us. Amen? We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. And how's the saying go? Doggone it. People like me. It doesn't matter how many people like us, right? We're not going to be able to attain to the glorious standard that God has placed upon humanity. And so we have to have this reverential fear so that we listen to him and his requirements, his demands. We must recognize our sinfulness if we're to place our lives under his government. That's a naughty word today, I know. Government. Oh, it just sends chills down our backs, right? Oh, because the government, there's so much um, attached to that ideal of government. But we're not talking about flawed American government. As good as it is, and it's still better than most of the world. Just know that. Doesn't matter who's in office. We're still blessed and privileged, unlike most everyone else upon the planet. But this is an imperfect government. And we're looking for the perfect government that comes with the perfect one. And that is Jesus. And so Jesus' coming at the incarnation is about more than just a baby in a manger. It's about more than that. It's about more than the cross upon which he gave his life for us. It's about more than that. It's not just saving us from our sins, but it's also about a new reality. One that we'll see. We'll be like on the front porch of eternity when the millennial kingdom starts. And we'll see what the perfect peace of God is like in that thousand year reign of Christ. And we'll understand what it means to be under the perfect rule of the perfect king. We don't see that right now, but that day is coming. And so the first coming of Jesus is a glimpse It's a taste of what's ultimately coming when Jesus returns. And so the government that will be upon him will be for his people, for those who know Christ. Romans tells us more about this good news. And and that's really what is heralded in Luke chapter 2. We see that uh, the angel said in Luke 2.10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. He's bringing us good news of great joy. And we talked about that joy last week. But the good news, that message is a message of redemption. Like Romans 5 verses 6 through 9 tell us. Romans chapter 5 doesn't sound like a Christmas passage. Oh, but it is. Romans 5 verse 6 and following. For while we were still helpless at the right time, and it means with precision, at the perfect time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, on Christmas Day next Sunday, we are having services at 10.30 next Sunday. There'll be no Sunday morning Bible study, no Sunday school at 9.30, but 10.30 service. I can't think of a better day to be at church on a Sunday than a Christmas Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen. But that day, we're going to be studying out of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that talks about Christ coming at just the right time, what that means. And so, that's what we're going to be talking about more that day, next Sunday. But look, go on, it says in verse 7, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. We might see that, right? And we do. We see it with soldiers giving their lives at war for the sake of the cause, the sake of the nation, the sake of the country, or the people that they're fighting for. We see uh, where parents will step in front of uh, a car or a bullet or whatever it might be, right, to protect their children. We see that kind of love. But this is bigger than that. This is something grand or something, something great, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. So we're the enemies of God. How often does someone step in front of the bullet for an enemy? That doesn't happen. How many times do do strangers step in front of a bullet for someone that they don't like, but they know just enough about them to know that they're in a different political party than they are? You don't see that. But Christ, 
demonstrates his own love towards God, demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So the good news of Christmas translates more to just a babe in a manger. It's God with us. And with that comes the promise of a kingdom under God. This is not the kingdom of God reigning right now, as some mistakenly believe. Jesus came that first time. He offered the kingdom promise to Israel. It was rejected, and the kingdom will be here when the king returns. Amen? When Jesus returns, he will set up that kingdom. This is a foretaste, a foreshadow of what it means to live with Jesus. We just see that as Christians more so than the world, obviously. But this is still but a shadow of what's to come. And when King Jesus returns, not just the babe in the manger, but the reigning king. Not just the lamb, right? Who Behold the lamb of God who takes away our sins. But the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquers enemies. Amen? When King Jesus returns, we will know peace under his rule. Unlike we know today. There's nothing we can do to earn it right now. Romans 6, 23 goes on to tell us that the wages, what we earn, right, the payment for our sin is, what, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when those angels proclaimed peace on earth, they were speaking about, specifically, the application of the promise of peace for those who follow Jesus. That peace is not for the lost world. It's just not. However, know this. That the world, because of what Christ has done historically and what Christ is doing through his church today, do you realize the church is still blessed with a, a little bit of peace, with a little bit of hope, with a little bit of joy? Those realities are still there in a very minute way for even those who do not know Jesus. They are blessed because of God's blessing upon his church. I think, I think we should be able to see that as Christians. Hospitals are because of those who follow God. People benefit from doctors and from medicines today because of Christians. The sciences that we enjoy for, and I mean the real science, it's not the evolution garbage, right? That's faith again. But, but those real sciences, those started with people who feared God. And you think about even in, in modern times, people like Blaise Pascal and others. They believed in God and the benefits of their walk with God and the grace that they knew comes out even in the sciences, in the mathematics, in the medical world as well. We see that even with how governments, as far, far short as they fall now, but governments still today, there is an aspect of the rule of Christ even in some of the forms of government. There is still, like Romans 13 talks about, there is an element of, of, uh, of peace, of structure, right? Of, of, of ruling. It's imperfect. We know it's imperfect. Even here it's imperfect. But there is still a structure of order around the world. But that comes ultimately from God. How he's working even through those who believe. Folks, for, that, for, for, for saying that, we should think then, Christians, we should be the best citizens that a, that a, that a government knows. Amen? Amen? Even if we don't agree with everything an administration does or who's in office, Christians should uphold the law. As long as we're not being um, led to go against the clear teachings of Scripture, we should be good citizens. This government should be kind of shown through us, this perfect government that Jesus is offering and that he will bring. But those who know Christ, we have an intimate knowledge of the Prince of Peace that the world doesn't have. Therefore, we should be a peaceful people. Isaiah 9, 7, Old Testament promise from the prophet Isaiah 
says this, and I, I just think about the way R.C. Sproul, Isaiah, the way he always says his name, it just kind of, Isaiah, it just it sounds funny, but I like it, I like it. But every time I see this word, I'm, I'm thinking about, about how that rolls off of his tongue. But look at verse 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And folks, we can honestly say that that's not reality for us today, right? There's not this perfect rule of Christ today in the world. And there's absolutely, we know there's no peace today in this way. But it's coming. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Christ will literally fulfill those Old Testament promises in the, um, in the messianic kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. Again, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 5, 1 through 6. We see also in Psalm 2 and elsewhere, we see the reality of that coming peace. And it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of Yahweh will accomplish this. That day is coming brothers and sisters. That day is coming. And so what he tells us in other words is this that God's perfect peace and his perfect government will keep expanding. It'll continue to get better and better and better until it's here amongst us and we are enjoying it for all of eternity. That doesn't mean we're building the kingdom now as some wrongly interpret that idea. We're not building the kingdom. We're not, we're not making the world better so that Christ can return as some, again, often wrongly teach today. But we are sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that people will repent and believe and be saved. Amen? And that kingdom change does happen inwardly in us. It does. That idea, that aspect of it absolutely happens. But there is a day coming when Jesus will return and that kingdom will be ultimately set up and justice and righteousness and peace will be ours forevermore. And I, I'm tired of arguing. I'm pretty good at it too. I really am. But, but I, I'm tired of it. I have to admit. Some of you are laughing. It's true. Tired of it. You know how you, you, know how you can be a good a good. Let's call it a debater. That's better. A good debater, good arguer. You listen to what they're saying. You got to listen. Don't start planning your attack. Just listen to what they're saying. Just listen. And then you attack. No, no, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But I'm tired of arguing. I'm, I'm tired of debate. I'm tired of criticism. I'm tired of doubt. I'm tired of all of those things. I'm tired of the struggle of, of good in this world. And I know that God's using the struggle to make us more sanctified, to make us more like Jesus. And so I don't reject that at all. That's a reality. And, and we, we need to embrace that. But, but it makes me long for Jesus. It makes me long for redemption. It makes me long for heaven all the more. And the more you see, the more that, you know, especially like with the younger generations, the children. And, and you know, as a parent on one, one hand that's getting older with older children now, adult children you start thinking, what are these young parents? Look at the world that we've left with these young kids. But then I have to remember, for such a time as this, amen? For such a time as this, we need to prepare those young ones to embrace the fight in this world, amen? We need to be part of that, that, that brings them the peace that surpasses all understanding, which we'll get to here in just a moment. So God's perfect peace, his perf perfect government continue expanding. And we see that there's no end, there's no end 
So, how can that which is perfect keep getting better and better? I thought about this this week as I went back over my notes. It just seemed kind of rubbed me odd to say it that way. That the perfect peace and the perfect kingdom of God increase over and over again. How does that which is perfect get better? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. But it does say in that chapter, in chapter 9, that it's going to increase. And the, the idea, the context is that it's going to get better and better and better. Can't explain how perfect gets better. But with Jesus, hey, anything's possible. Amen? It's going to be unlike anything we know. So what does that do for us now? The millennial kingdom's gonna be wonderful. Eternity, wonderful. All of that's gonna be great. We long for that. And I think the junk here helps us to, to long even more for the return of Christ, amen. It makes us to be dissatisfied with even the greatest stuff here on earth because there's something more in Christ. So, so I don't trade that in for anything. I pray you don't either. I pray there's nothing here that will distract you from wanting Christ to return. If it does, guess what? You need to really pray about what that thing is because you may have elevated it to the status of an idol in your life. Just think about that. If we want anything more, if there's anything holding us back, for instance, as, as a father uh, whose daughters don't have children yet, that means that I don't have grandchildren. grandchildren. And there's a part of me that really wants grandchildren. Right, there's one. I have a lot of them, you know, that way. Absolutely. Love, love squeezing on these little, little nuggets. I do. But, but so every once in a while you start thinking, hey, when y'all going to get hitched and have kids? I mean, right? I mean, that's, they hear this from me all the time. So that kind of comes out. But, but listen, I don't want that more than I want Jesus. And if Jesus returns tomorrow, I will not want for grandkids. I will not long for anything else here. Does that make sense? As much as we may want some of those kind of things, it's not bigger than the want of Christ. It shouldn't be Christian. It should not be Christian. And my daughters, I'm sorry, I apologize for saying that here from the pulpit. There you go. Now, what does this peace mean for us today? There's three, three things I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, Jesus offers peace from God to all who are the recipients of his grace. We talked about that a little bit early on. Who are those who have his peace? Romans 1, 7 tells us this. As Paul makes his argument um, for the church and for those who are called by the name of Christ, he says, to all who are beloved, he's writing this introduction now, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say to the whole world peace in this regard. Christians alone, those who know Jesus Christ are the only ones who have the kind of peace the Bible talks about. We may not be at war with, like, like just Casey's right here in my line of sight. So, so Casey says something ugly to me in, in, in retaliation to something ugly that I said to him first. There we go. I'll throw myself under the bus first. But, but that peace we may make up and that wall may be torn down now between us. And that's, that's a form of peace. But that's not the fullness of the peace that Christ offers us. Does that make sense? There's so much more that the world just can't know. But it comes to saints. Those who are called as saints. Now let's just remember, because I know some of you here come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. Saints are not those who, who Roman Catholicism would teach us. A saint is someone who is able to meet three criteria. And part of that is performing uh, some type of miracle. Like Mother Teresa, she's Saint Teresa, right? That, that kind of thing. That's not what the scriptures teach us. All Christians are saints. The Bible uses that name to describe everybody who is in Christ Jesus. And so if you believe along, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the redemption, for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, the Bible says that you're saved. If you're saved, you're a saint. Does that make sense? So all true Christians are saints. So 
Who is the offer of peace for? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a saint, you have been shown the grace of God, amen, and you have the peace from God upon you. So Jesus offers peace from God. So notice, grace, then peace, grace, then peace. And we see that throughout the writings of Paul. It's always that order. It's never peace. Oh, and here's some grace. You don't know the peace if you don't know the grace. What's the saying that you see oftentimes a lot uh, throughout the year, but usually this time of year? In fact, I just saw it a few days ago. No, N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. You seen that? But then the, what's the other side of that coin? You remember? K-N-O-W, no, like knowledge. No, Jesus, then knowledge, no, peace. So little, little, little phrase, it's cute, right? It's succinct, but there's a lot of theology there. It's true. There's no true peace for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know peace, you must know Jesus. The grace comes first and then the peace follows with it. The grace, think of it as a train. The grace is the engine and the peace is the car behind the engine. Amen? The grace comes first. Secondly, Jesus makes peace, Jesus makes peace with God the Father for those who surrender to him. So first, he offers peace from God to those who are the recipients of his grace. But secondly, he makes peace with God for those who surrender to him in faith. Romans 5, 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the great benefit enjoyed by those who have been justified... By faith, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, amen? The Reformation was fought for a reason, to, to, to bring back soteriology, the doctrines, the great te teachings of salvation, to get those things right. They didn't take care of all of the issues that we have theologically, but they got salvation right. We're not saved by our works, we're not saved by the merits of the Pope or anybody else, we're saved by the merits of Jesus Christ alone, amen? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if you want to proof that. So that comes from Jesus. So we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the peace with God then comes through Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 5.1 tells us. Through the work of Christ, all the causes of enmity are gone. All the hostilities have ceased. And so you may be thinking, wait, there's still hostility in the world. I mean between you and God. You now have peace with God. God does not have his wrath set upon you, Christian. It's not. You're freed from the, from the wrath of God. Which is why we believe here in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. So before the wrath of God is poured out in the tribulation, the rapture of God happens for the church. Or the rapture of the church happens for us by God. Because we have not been appointed to wrath. And the tribulation is about the wrath of God being poured out in fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. So we have no hostility between us and God. It's gone. The war is over. It's done away with. It's, it's gone. We couldn't fight against God if we wanted to now as Christians. His Spirit won't let us because His Spirit is in us, has redeemed us, has sealed us, and now gives us of Himself. And so we have love, joy, peace, patience. That one's hard to say. I know patience, right? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We have all of the Spirit. All of what the Spirit offers we have available to us. Amen? 
And so the striving is done with. The hostilities are over. The, the wall that separate us from God has been torn down by Jesus. And, uh, and Paul makes this argument great in, in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. First it's the wall between the Jew and the Gentile. Now there's no outer courts any longer as there was in the sanctuary that the Jews knew and the Gentiles had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. Now we all have access to God. So that peace has been, has been made between us as as Jew, as non-Jew, in Christ there's one, amen? There's one new people in Christ. But also now the peace that we have with God, it's gone. Grace comes first and then the peace follows. Grace is the engine, peace is the car behind it. Which brings us to the third thing. Jesus now brings the peace of God to those who walk with him. He brings the peace of God. So first, he offers peace from God. Secondly, he makes peace between us and God, but now he brings the peace of God to those who walk with him. So this peace, it changes us. This peace creates peace within us. Now how many of you would say that we could use an extra helping of peace right now? At, at Thanksgiving, my mom makes uh, dressing, and uh, I'm not a dressing fan. Um, you can boo me and hiss me. I don't, I don't really care. I, I like meat. I am a meat and bread kind of guy. And potatoes. I like potatoes too. But I like meat. So while most people, I think about my niece Ivy, right? Tracy and Hart's youngest. And, and she's a big fan of the dressing. And we've, we've talked about doing like uh, Tex-Mex Christmas dinner and different things. And mom's always like, well, I still have to make dressing, you know, for, for the girls. And she's right. She would still have to do that. But they go back for second and third, namely for second or third helpings of the dressing. Me, I like second and third helpings of the meat or the bread. You know, I, Leslie, I may cheat that day and, and have a roll or whatever. But, but, but that's, that's where my seconds come from. Okay, that's, that's, how, that's how I roll, if you will. But the grace of God creates this peace in us. And I'm just, every day it just seems like I'm made more and more aware. And, and I don't know what it is. But more and more aware of the fact that we need more peace now. We need more peace. And, and, and I can't explain exactly why. And if I tried it, would, it would probably sound arrogant in some, some sense. And I, I don't want to do that. But, but, but just listen, I think the closer you and I begin to walk with Christ, the more of his peace we begin to experience. And I think the more we realize how horrible the things around us really are in this world. And how unpeaceful society is. Does that make sense? And again, I don't mean that in any sort of arrogant way. It's a humbling thing, in fact. That God, I mean, you love me enough to save me, but you keep on loving me even though you know I'm still a knothead. I mean, that's, that's a very humbling thing. Amen? And so that peace is so needed in us. So, so look at Philippians 4. I know we're kind of jumping around here, but I want you to see how this peace translates in us. Not just to us, for us, with us, but in us. He brings the peace of God to those who walk with him. And Philippians chapter 4, let me get there as well, sorry. Let me get there. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. I use this passage a lot in biblical counseling because we all need peace from God. And, and, and most of the time when there's problems between um, ourselves and God or ourselves and others, usually um, we're at least partially to blame with that. Amen? I mean, it doesn't take the other person off the hook. I mean, there's enough blame to go around usually whenever there's interpersonal issues. But we all need peace. And my part, even if I can't fix the other person, my part is that I can absolutely make sure I'm fixing my own heart towards that person. Does that make sense? So this is very practical. So this peace that God offers those who walk with Him, we see it this way. Look at verses 4 through 7. 
he starts off this way and this is really kind of the end of this letter that Paul is writing he's coming to the close of this epistle and remember where does Paul write this from from a mansion from a resort spa he's not in a hot tub when he writes this where is he at he's where France oh he's not in Branson I thought you said he's in France I'm like no that's not correct he's in prison he's in prison when he writes this he's in Branson okay that's, that's, that's as good as France I guess but, but he's in prison he's in prison so this is not to quote Joel Osteen his best life now from the world's perspective okay so he's in prison so rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice now notice something real quick let's unpack this just for a few minutes this whole, this whole section here. Rejoice in the Lord. So don't rejoice in your circumstances. But rejoice in your Savior. Amen. All of us can do that no matter what's happening in our day to day life. Folks I know for some of you especially here today. Life has dealt you several stinky blows. And that's, that's putting it mildly. I, I get that. And I don't discount what you're going through. But the scriptures tell us something for hope. Rejoice in the Lord not your circumstance. So that means if you've been dealt a stinky hand you need to look past those cards and you need to see the grace of God and the peace that He offers you in the midst of the circumstance. Amen? And that's easy to say when everything's great. It's a little harder when we're under the strain of life's happenings. But rejoice in the Lord always. And so did you hear me? And just to make sure you heard me what does Paul say? Again I say rejoice. So he tells us twice. When, when the Lord through His Holy Spirit um, would so choose to repeat things that's kind of a signal I take it as something that I really need to know how about you like holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty not gracious 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 not love 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 not peace 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 but holy 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 that attribute of God is repeated thrice right three times once twice three times a, a holy okay there's a song from the Commodores I think right some of y'all got that but once twice three times a holy that's how holy our God is holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty so we need to realize that but here he does repeat it twice rejoice verse 5 look at verse 5 he says the second thing here let your gentle spirit be known to all men the end or rather the Lord is near the Lord is near and this this is interpreted in a couple of ways but it at least means he's near to the brokenhearted we know it, it means that but the return of Christ is near also to us and he's closer than a brother we read in the Old Testament as well there is one who sticks closer than a brother that's God that's Jesus he loves us so much that what did God do he gave his only begotten son but not just to be a good example for us not simply to take on flesh in the incarnation for us although that's absolutely essential no one saved apart from this amen but he's near to us and he demonstrated his nearness by clothing himself in humanity God eternal God takes on a second nature now he's the God man eternally woven together he bears the marks of the crucifixion in that fleshly body. Jesus still maintains that body today. He is 100% God, 100% man. Hypostatic union is the fancy preacher term for that. But he is the God man. And he bears the marks of our redemption. So he's near. So be gentle. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. For one thing, our brothers and sisters in Christ can have hope that Christ is coming. Amen. The Lord's near. I know you're struggling, but the Lord is near. For those who don't know Christ, <laughs> uh, whew, the Lord is near. That sounds something different, right? That's why we need to warn them. Let them see our gentle spirit. We have hope 
Why don't we stress out about the stock market, about the economy, about the increase of, 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 of um, food right now? Man, it's crazy. But why don't we stress over those things? Because the Lord's near to us. The Lord takes care of us. The Lord provides for us. We're being smart. We're being like an ant. And we're, we're, we're planning up for these rainy days as well. Amen. We're, we're, we're looking ahead to those kind of things. We're trying to set ourselves up to where we can help others in those things as well. That's a good thing. Uh, Little Cypress Baptist every year, Brother Dave and his, his folks, they, they, they have the uh, Crisis Prep Expo. And that's not just a doom and gloom into the world kind of thing. It's not that at all, actually. It's just how to be better prepared in case things get really bad here so that we can continue to minister to people who don't know Jesus. The Lord's near. They need to know Jesus. They need to know where our peace comes from. And then verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Now this one's hard. Maybe we should just pause and, and contemplate this for a minute. Be anxious for nothing. No thing. I just lost my job. Be anxious for nothing. I'm having trouble at home with my spouse or with my parents. Be anxious for nothing. That's a hard dose of reality. And it sounds like a platitude, but it's not. Be anxious for nothing. That is a state of mind that comes from the condition of a heart that's close to Jesus because the Lord is near. Amen. So he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is, is just it's another way of talking about prayer, but specifically the asking, right? Everything by prayer and, and, and supplication with thanksgiving. We just came through Thanksgiving holiday season. But Christians, we should thank God in all things at all the time. Passed out Wednesday before last and, and uh, uh, it's hard to say thank you God for, for, for that but, but I did knock down the Confederate monument Mike and I were joking about today. So remember I, I told some of you I thought I got my car all the way in park. So I'm on the Bancroft Road. I backed up onto that little side street that dead ends at the Confederate Monument. And I thought I made it into park, but I didn't. I just got into reverse. And when I came to, I'm out in the middle of that, that pasture. And that Confederate Monument was over here. I'm just thinking, well, I wasn't thinking then, but in the days since, I thought, you know, local news headline. Tonight at 10, local pastor destroys Confederate Monument. I thought, man, that'd be great publicity for the church. So, but thank you, God, that that didn't happen that way. PJ would disown me probably, right? But, but still. It didn't happen that way, but, but, you know, thank you for not letting that happen, God. But that whole situation, I mean, it's hard to find reasons to thank God in certain things, but we're to thank God in all these things and to be anxious for nothing, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And look at verse 7, how this ends. So we do that. We rejoice, right? We rejoice, we, 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 we let our gentle spirit be near. We remember that the Lord is near us. His return is near as well. We're anxious for nothing. We're praying. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're being uh, thankful to God. And so we come to God and then verse 7 tells us, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let me just tell you in, in counseling, and some of you know this, some of us have had this conversation. A lot of times in, in counseling, folks, through biblical counseling, there's strife and turmoil and there's, there's questions and there's doubt and there's fear and there's no peace. And so you start here at verse 4 and you say, have you been rejoicing in the Lord always? No. Okay. Have you um, been gentle? Are you being angry and are you being confrontational? Yeah, I, I am. I haven't been real gentle. Are you remembering that the Lord is near to you? Well, it doesn't seem like it because of the situation. Are you anxious for something? Yeah, I want this fixed. Okay. Are you praying about this? Well, I did, but oftentimes you stop. So, look at verse 7. 
It's not even if you do, if you, even if you fail to do these things, the peace of God will be with you, right? That's not what it says. We're doing these things. Our heart, our mind, our attitude is where it's supposed to be in spite of our circumstances and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension guards our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So we sing about rejoice. Christ is born. Rejoice. Christ is born. Rejoice. Don't be anxious. We think joy to the world. Don't be anxious, but pray. Be thankful and, and take everything to the Lord in prayer. There's an old hymn about that. Take it all to the Lord in prayer. And folks, I have to remind myself of this too. Everything, guess what it means? <laughs> everything. Yeah. But, no buts. <laughs> no buts. Everything means everything. Is anything too big to bring to God? No. And we're good about bringing the big things, but is anything too small to bring to Him? And that's where I fail a lot of times. Ah, this is minor. God's got more important things on His mind, right? There's nothing too big, too small to bring before God. We bring everything to Him. And now here comes the peace. Again, peace is our birthright. When we embrace the offer of peace from God, when we realize that Jesus makes peace between us and God, and then when we really take hold of the fact, the ideal that Jesus brings the peace from God to us, in us, by way of His Holy Spirit, then we begin to live this life of peace. And so turn back to Philippians chapter 1 real quick. Let me just state something that should be very obvious to those of us who are in Christ, especially when we read Scripture. And hopefully you don't still do the old point and shoot, you know, the point and shoot method where you just open the Bible and just start reading somewhere. Read it systematically. Read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Start at the beginning so you understand the context. Stay in God's Word. But look at verses 1 and 2 here. <laughs> Again, this is one of those Captain Obvious moments. But listen, Paul and Timothy. Timothy's with Paul there. He's writing this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. That word bondservant, doulos, means slave, bondslave of Christ Jesus. He traded the, the slavery that he was under of sin being owned by sin, now he's under ownership of Christ Jesus. There's no in-between. There's no Switzerland, right? There's no neutral place. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. So he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So this letter went initially to all the saints. Who are all the saints? Those who do three miracles? Who are saints? All Christians. He writes to all Christians who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Overseers, pastor, under shepherd, uh, elder, and the deacons. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here comes the peace of God. Do you know the grace of Jesus Christ? If you know the grace of God, His peace is available to you. It's available to you. You just got to plug in. Sometimes when, when, um, lights won't come on like the lights on this tree for instance I know there was some issue at first maybe it's a fuse right but sometimes and this wasn't the case for PJ and Brandon and the youth okay at least I don't think they didn't admit it if it was but sometimes the lights don't come on because you don't have the lights plugged into the power source and I don't know if you've ever done that before and again I'm not blaming you guys for that at all surely somebody with y'all would have, would have checked that right yes okay I know Brandon checked but but have you ever done that? Something's not working, you go back and it's not plugged in? Yeah, it happens to the best of us. It does. Some of us maybe more than others, but it happens. And folks, the peace of God is ours. We just have to be plugged into the power source. And that's Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to do something with me. Just bow your heads for a moment. 
And there's nothing mystical or magical about this. It just gives us an opportunity to, to stop focusing on me, to stop focusing on people around you, and just think for a moment. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the love of God and the peace of God? Do you know that which surpasses understanding? As we've talked about here today. It comes from Jesus, but it's, it's after the engine of grace. For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Do you know that gifting from God? The Bible tells us throughout that we are saved this way. We have to have that kind of faith. We see that in John chapter 1 verse 12. We, we see that in Romans chapter 10 as Paul talks to those in the, uh, his audience here in this Roman letters. He addresses the ideal of, of the Jews. They're saved this way here. We have to understand this. We have to come under that saving reality of God's grace through faith. We have to realize that we must confess with our mouth Christ Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, and we realize that we will be saved. It's God who does the saving. It's not what we do, it's what God has already done, and we come to terms, we come to grips with what He has done. For with the heart a person believes, believes in Jesus and what Jesus has done. The person believes resulting in righteousness with the mouth he confesses, confesses what? That Christ Jesus is Lord, and that results in salvation. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if that's you today, then I say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Cry out to Jesus. As Jesus said in the Gospels, cry out, Lord have mercy on me, the sinner. Forget about how better you may be than somebody else because all of your righteous deeds are just like mine. Filthy, discarded, bloody garments. We can't merit God's goodness, but we have to come to Him in faith, by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. So do you realize that today, maybe for the first time, that you are a sinner and you need to trust Jesus and you're doing that in this moment, then Maranatha, praise God. Hallelujah. We invite you to let that be known publicly. You don't have to walk up here to be saved. Baptism is our public declaration of faith. And in just a moment, we're going to partake together of one of two ordinances of the church. We're going to celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper together. The other ordinance is that of baptism. And we would invite you to be obedient to Christ by the ordinance of baptism, by declaring to the world that you have been buried, the old you is gone, and you have been resurrected with Jesus Christ, the new you created in the image of Christ Jesus. The old you passed away, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, and behold, all things have become new. If that's you today, then we invite you to let that be known by being baptized as your public declaration of faith. The believers here today, please know, please know that this peace is yours for the taking. It's available to all of us because of what God has done for us. So Father, we thank you for this time in your word today. We thank you for this message of peace, but also of hope as we've seen the love that you have for us and by which you gave of yourself through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty that's due what your justice what your holiness demanded oh God so thank you for Jesus Christ and I pray today as we continue to worship even now through the observation of the Lord's Supper through communion together would you continue to move our hearts toward you to bring us into that ideal of rest in Christ Jesus may we experience that peace from you with you and even internally